Welcome to the Mike Litton Experience Podcast. Mike has over 31 years experience in real estate, finance, and investing. He's passionate about being a father, a teacher, a realtor, an investor, and a leader. Everyone has a story, and our passion is to help them tell it. And now, introducing the host of the Mike Litton Experience, Mike Litton. So what is Mike Time? Mike Time is a set of short stories that have happened throughout my lifetime, experiences of mine throughout my lifetime, that have taught me lessons that I hope will be of value to you. So what can you expect from the Mike Litton Experience? You can expect stories that will inspire, motivate, deliver advice that sharpens your focus, as well as providing expert information regarding real estate, finance, and market conditions. Murphy, yes. one of my favorite people in the world. I know I'm embarrassing you, but you really are. Um, we've been friends for a long time. We work together. It's been a lot of fun. Welcome to the Mike Litton Experience. Thank you. I'm it's great to have you. <laughs> Appreciate you being here, buddy. So as you know, our passion is everybody has a story, right? right. And our passion is to help them tell it. And the reason for it is we're absolutely convinced that somebody is going to hear your story and they're going to be inspired and or motivated to do something that they've been putting off or something that they've been too scared to do, that kind of thing. And so that's why we do what we do. So with your permission, what we're going to do is have you tell your story from, from birth, that's okay, all the way up to today, and then we can talk about what you're doing today because I want people to know what is happening with EXP Realty and with you and the family and everything, okay? How I got here. Okay, yeah, exactly, right? Yep. So where were you born? I was born in Olympia, Washington. Wow, okay. Yeah, yeah the south end of the, uh, the yep. south side of Seattle. Yeah. Uh, born in Olympia, Washington. Uh, my grandfather was a, a warden at the Walla Walla State Penitentiary. That's the first thing that, that I remember. I Your remember grandfather. Going to the penitentiary to get my hair cut. My, some of my first memories, eating breakfast in the guards lounge and wow. getting my hair cut by you know, by mass murderers or whatever, you know. So these were, these were literally they prison were inmates. Hanging, they were trustees, right? They were but still they're... hanging people at that time. Oh so my it was goodness. Crazy. Wow. And I don't know if that dates me. I'm a, <laughs> Yeah, my dad, uh, salesman, was probably worked for my, my grandfather in the prison system, coming out of high school and stuff. Uh, no college background on the dad. Mom wasn't a college graduate. They're just your typical Washingtonians. Wow. You know? Yeah. And, what a uh, way to grow up. Yeah, it's uh, so typical Washingtonians. We've been migrating south. Um, my father was traveling salesman. Mm -hmm. Worked for Boise Cascade Paper, uh, worked for Revlon, and transitioned from east Western Washington to Eastern Washington. Had a brother born there. Uh, moved down to California, Northern California. How old were you when you moved? I think I was, I, I couldn't have been four years old. Oh, okay. Uh, four or five years old. I mean, I, I remember, I remember moving down to the Sacramento area mm -hmm. and uh, living in Rose, not Roseville, but there's a place called Rosemont. Yeah. There. Yeah. So living in Rosemont and little, little, you know, three, two rancher homes. And uh, I remember kindergarten, going to school in kindergarten and busing, you know, three whole blocks to get there. You know, wow. I don't think 
don't even have busing. Yeah. But typical dad was a salesman, mom was a stay-at-home mom, and brother was a terror. So oh, that's awesome. Yeah. And then uh, I think from there we moved to San Ramon, California. Ooh. Yep, San interesting. Ramon, what a I, small world. Yeah. So I, I mean, I'm a California tour guide at this point. But yeah. I moved to the San Ramon area, grew up, swim team. Uh, I I took to swimming. Oh. I mean, that was that was my thing. Love the water. Um, oh, yeah. By the time I was eight years old, I'd won three gold medals at the Tri-State Championship. Wow. And then I won seven medals at the Tri-State Championship. I was, I was a swimmer. I thought, I'm going to, you know, going to the Olympics. Oh, yeah. So I swam for, I swam for Roseville. I mean, um, for San Ramon, mm-hmm. and then we moved down to uh, Southern California, I believe, Dana Point. Okay, and beautiful place. Yeah, swimming wasn't a thing. Surfing was a thing. Oh God. Yeah, I mean, we moved to Dana Point, California, when I was eight years old, yeah. and uh, started grade school there in San Juan Capistrano. We were having a house built. My dad would moved up in the world of sales mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, took up surfing. Loved surfing, would walk to the beach to go surfing. Uh, my brother and I were probably at the beach three, four days a week. Wow. In summer, every day of the week. A great way to grow up. Yeah, I mean, it was- And you got to be able to swim or, or to surf, obviously. Swim to surf, so yeah. But you um, just gravitated to the water, it sounds like. That, that was it. I yeah. mean, I, I love sports. I played soccer. Mm-hmm. I played baseball. I did surfing. I did swimming. I would do anything that, was, that didn't involve me not being accurate throwing a ball. <laughs> I can catch anything. I, I can't. The people are like, oh, he's he's 14 and he's almost six feet tall. Basketball. Really? Like, I'm, the worst basketball player in the world. I, I, I couldn't be a pitcher. I couldn't be the first baseman or the third baseman. I was always the catcher. I was always the goalie. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I just, I, I can catch stuff. So, you know, growing up was typical. So typical that when I was 11, uh, 11 years old, my father left, had a girlfriend in Chicago. So I went from a pretty good suburban lifestyle to the, the, condo lifestyle with several other divorced parents who found this other inland San Juan Capistrano, you know, out the Ortega a little bit, a little more affordable lifestyle. And uh, that's where I, you know, finished up grade school and started middle school. So father was gone, pretty much out of the picture, pretty much out of the picture now. I mean, I, I, I talked to him occasionally. I haven't seen him in 12 years, but... Uh, so the single mom, the latchkey kid, lots of trouble. Like I said, my little brother was a terror Mm -hmm. at my wedding. The best man said, Hey, Sean's brother's here and nothing's on fire. That's what he said. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing's exploding. Nothing's exploding and nothing's on fire. And, uh, and that's really how somebody's counting their blessings. That same best man said, whatever gene you and your brother got that allows you to jump your bicycles over your car. Uh, he goes, I didn't get that. I didn't get that gene. I didn't get the gene that would make you put on a, a heavy parka and shoot BB guns at each other. Because <laughs> so, when you guys have some, we know. So yeah, I mean, I, growing up as a latchkey kid, it was really push the limits. Yeah. You know, yeah, what can you do in the in the riverbed with your friends, building forks, and mm. you know, you know, sneaking sneaking a beer out of the fridge, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. But uh, you know, good 
good upbringing. Uh, my mom did the best she could. Mm -hmm. Was working at a university, was an administrator, ended up retiring in that position and meeting her husband, her next husband, uh, who was a university professor. Who immediately after we came home from like a two week visit with my dad in Florida, we came home to we're moving to Utah. Culture shock. I'm going into high school. And How old are you at this point? I was 14. 14, yeah. yeah. Moving, That's moving. a tough time to move. We're moving to Utah. Well, I mean, it's a tough time to move uh, any, anyone moving to Utah. Yeah, but 14. I mean, that's you've got all your friends. You've got your network. You've got, you grew up in San Juan Capistrano, basically. Yeah. I mean, you had, you I know. Did. I was, I was wow. throw, throwing rocks and gourds and everything else in San Juan. I mean, used to sit on the bridge with my buddy and identify old cars. Uh, Yeah, we moved to Salt Lake City, Utah. I started high school at East High School in Salt Lake City, Utah. Uh, There's a a family feature of Utah. Most of the people grew up there their whole lives. Mm -hmm. I I mean, there's there's two kinds of people. Those that move, you know, out from the city and those that move in from the country. And, but they're all the same place. They're all from Salt Lake. (laughs) And uh, my high school, everybody in my high school had been together since they were born. Yeah. I mean, I had 3,000 people in my East High School and everyone had been together in a family or in a religious environment since they were born. Yeah. So, you know, finding new friends, it's like... Got a fish out of water. It was. Uh, that lasted for a few years mm-hmm. or a couple of years. Uh, we came back to California. My my stepfather, they got married there. He came back to California and uh, we moved to Anaheim Hills, California. Hmm. Now, how was how long how long were you in Utah? I was in Utah for my freshman and sophomore year. Okay, freshman. so you're there for two years. Okay, yeah, there for two years. We moved back because we were pleading to move back. Yeah. Not we loved the skiing. I mm-hmm. grew up my whole life skiing. We loved the skiing. We loved the environment. It was just there was a lot of cold. Yeah, and uh, and we missed all of our friends. You know, sure. it was like oh my friends. Well, my stepfather he was from Buffalo, so he didn't have friends in Utah or in California, and he'd made both and kept both. He's very social. So moved back to California. And uh, I think that at 16 years old, I was, I was getting really hard to handle. Mm -hmm. I mean, I directionless, why do I have to go to school? You know, one of the things that was great about Utah is I didn't have anything to do. So I took a lot of extra classes. So when I came back my junior year of high school, they're like, you have to take three classes. You had built up a bunch of credits. Yeah, I built up a bunch of credits. You got to take three classes. My senior year, I think I had to take one. Wow. I mean, it was, it was really silly. So I worked a lot, Mm -hmm. but uh, I was becoming hard to handle, a little directionless, going off the rails. You know, there were, there were substances and alcohol and friends that, you know, weren't on the tracks. And I, I found all those because I had a lot of extra free time. Yeah. You know, so. Idle hands, right? Idle hands. So my stepfather said something very life-changing for me. Okay. He said, you can get a job full-time when you graduate. Or you can go to school and work. Wow. When you graduate. Or you can go into the military. Guess what all three of these have in common? You will not be in this house. Yes, yeah, you will not be here. So in my mind, I'm a problem solver. Definitely, I hadn't, I hadn't thought I was a problem solver <laughs> at that point. I was just kind of drifting through life right. as most people go right. to so- go to soccer practice, go to swim team, go to baseball. Do what you're supposed to do. Uh, do what you're supposed to do. So I just, 
uh, decided after watching a presentation on the military, what I'm going to be a Navy SEAL. I love it. And I signed up for the military on a delayed entry program when I was 16 years old. Okay. And my father's like, you better get some direction. And I just held up that piece of paper and said, I know exactly where I'm going. going. Yeah. But that was clarity. Yeah. I mean, I did not have to worry about that. I'm, I'm a year and a half out. Other mm -hmm. people haven't even started their college boards or applications. I'm like, I know exactly where I'm going. I'm going to go up to Los Angeles. I'm going to go to the induction center. They're going to take me down to San Diego where I don't know what they do with me. And they're going to make mm -hmm. me a SEAL. That's right. No. That's the way it works. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just so we're clear, when you're 16, that's the that's way it the works. That's the way it works. I'm going, I'm going to be a Navy SEAL and I'm going to, you know, that's right. I'm going Just to do cool stuff, whatever yeah. SEALs do. Yeah. Uh, my uncle Jim had been in the military as an air, aircraft mechanic, a jet mechanic. Yeah. So uh, he, he said, whatever you do, try to get into the air wing. You know, I didn't know why. He goes, because the people that are on the ships, they usually have to start out painting and greasing those ships. Yeah. And he goes, if you're in the air wing, at least, you know, you're you're not on the ship all the time. And uh, so I said, oh, I'm going to be a SEAL. Well, that's really hard. I don't know if anybody here, at about three quarters of the way through boot camp, uh, I was the master at arms for, you know, I always wanted to be number one. Mm -hmm. I was master at arms for my, my platoon. And I'm at, and some Two guys come in and say, you know, we're going to take uh, Petty Officer Murphy with, with us. And mm -hmm. they're all, everybody's going, Petty Officer Murphy? We're all airmen and seamen. We're brand new. Mm -hmm. And they're like, no, no, he's been in a delayed entry program for a year and a half. He actually has time on rank. So Ooh, that was the secret sauce Interesting. Right so I had already climbed up in rank before I even got there. You're just kidding by me. The that is program. so cool. I didn't know they did that. Yeah, no, pay, rank. I uh, love it. Skip swabbing floors. Yeah, you did. So yeah, you did. Painting the ship, like, the whole thing. Right? Why does he get to leave? This is, <laughs> this is murder. We hate this. We don't want to be here. Yeah. Uh, and the chief petty officer, uh, who was... I saw him later, Chief Petrie. Um, he goes, you don't want to go where he's going. Mm. You know, the one thing the Navy doesn't tell you is that if there, you can select be anything. They, you go take your you know your Armed Forces mm -hmm. Service Vocational Aptitude Battery, mm -hmm. and you do well on that. They're going, Mike, you can be a nuclear weapons technician. You can you can drive the ship. You can be a Navy SEAL. You can you know work. Work for Space Command. Mm -hmm. Those things have such a high failure rate. And they don't tell you that if you fail, you are at the cons at the convenience of the military. Right. That's how they get those people that paint the ships and crawl through air ducts and chain aircraft to the ground, you know, to the deck. I mean, those people don't volunteer. You know, I want to haul chains around the aircraft deck. Sure. Nobody goes insane that. Yeah, way. I want to be around well, a bunch of jet When you fail out of all these cool schools, uh, which some of them have a 50%, 80% failure yeah. rate, that's where they get the, the laborers mm -hmm. in the military. So, SEAL was not in my future. As a matter of fact, while running in formation, I stepped on a curb, like an oblique curb with my right foot, and I snapped my right ankle. Oh. That is, so that was, that was not it. So, uh, the petty officer said, you can go through this, and at that point, I really figured out, I'm like, I am not as big as some of these people and I'm probably not going to make it so at that point I selected to go to aviation air crew school and okay. rescue swimmer school okay 
uh, already already good swimmer, yeah. and I was probably had better endurance and strength than most of the people. So I went there. That was more of my speed. Yeah, I run five miles, do obstacle courses, and jump out of helicopters with the best of them. So yeah. that that really. Um, it was highly technical, highly tactical. I was an anti-submarine warfare specialist, a, a door gunner, a rescue swimmer. Uh, but rescue swimming is what I did most. Yeah. Um, and I so I uh, did that. Mm -hmm. Was successful at it. Really charmed life. Moved up, you know, because I already had the time on rank. And mm -hmm. you know, was a good four O sailor. Moved up real quick. Got every assignment I tried for. And the military is really great for people who are competitive because mm -hmm. everything's competition. Yeah. Holding your underwear is a competition. Yeah. Making your bed's a competition. Be being clean, being clean shaven. I mean, every day there's 20 competitions. You just kind of walk around going, oh, I'm going to win every one. That's right. Especially you. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think second, pl <laughs> second place is the first, first loser. loser. That's yeah. right, baby. So, that's right. Yeah. I, and I, I really grew up that's, you know, without a, without a male figure. Mm -hmm. Telling me that, I I just figured that's what I had to be. I had to be first in everything, yeah. you know, because I didn't want to be second. You I know. can't stand silver. Uh, I don't. I uh, gold, those gold medals, they're appealing as heck. Uh, so you know, in the military, it was always competition. It was always fun. Always room for advancement. I mean, the harder you work, the further you went, and you could really do anything you wanted. Uh, that's cool. So. I came up to the end of my first enlistment, and the military extended me at the convenience of the military. Being highly trained at that point, being a senior senior rescue swimmer and trainer and a weapons technician, uh, they said, we gotta go to this war thing and we can't let you go right now because we don't have time to train other people. Right. So uh, I got to Libya, I got to Beirut, and they're, now we're gonna go to the desert. And uh, they said, we gotta, we gotta keep you. Okay. So they extended me. Well, we your Reagan era. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm, I'm thinking I'm gonna stay in. Mm -hmm. I moved up so fast. Sure. I mean, first class petty officer. Woo! I moved up really fast, and I'm gonna stay in. Well, uh, there's a thing that happened back then called Reaganomics. Mm -hmm. Congress froze. They didn't approve any budget. Mm -hmm. and the Navy said we want to keep you. And I said, great. Where's my selective reenlistment bonus for highly trained technical and tactical individuals? They were getting significant reenlistment bonuses. And mm -hmm. they said, what happened? I have people that I way outrank that just got one <laughs> yeah. a couple months ago. Right. And uh, they just said, well, Congress is frozen. We don't have any money. We can't offer you the reenlistment bonus. Reenlistment bonus. I said, well, I'll just extend until that all gets solved. And they go, you can't. Oh. Because we already extended you at the convenience of the military. You can only extend once. Oh, no. And I went, so I can sign up now and get nothing. Right. Even though I'm going to look at some third-class petty officer who got twenty, thirty thousand dollars $30,000. Right. And I said, no. Yeah, thanks I, anyway. I had a scholarship to Chapman University okay. in Orange, California. Yeah. And I took advantage of that. And I said, if I come back, I'll come back in as a commissioned officer. Sure. I liked it. It was fun. Uh Kept me out of trouble. Yeah. You know, and I think that kind of discipline changed my whole life. Yeah. The military wasn't my wasn't my father. A little bit of my stepfather. Mm -hmm. He's hardcore educator, Sounds professor. Like it. Yeah, he's more degrees than I even want to count. He yeah. found a way to stay in school for 38, 40 years. Wow. I mean, he 
He is a smart guy, ran universities, ran Marymount, ran Dominican, ran Chapman. I mean, he's a, he's a smart cookie. Yeah. So the military really kind of shaped me. Yeah. Uh, assignment focused, get the job done kind of person. Uh, when I got out of the military and I went to school, you know, I worked whatever jobs I had to, to get through school and, uh, you know, met my wife mm -hmm. and she was a fine art designer. Thank God you did. Yeah. This is the real detour. I mm -hmm. mean, I was working retail and going to school. I was working with developmentally disabled adults and going to school, uh, working in restaurants and going to school. And I met my wife and she was a painter, a fine art designer, like paints the big paintings inside Princess Cruise Liners and Nordstrom's. And I mean, just, she was world famous. Wow. And, uh, she needed my help on a, on a project from down the hall. One of her giant 10 foot canvases was falling off the wall. It was the end of the world. So mm -hmm. I went in and saved the day and nailed it back up to cinder block. Don't put nails in cinder block. Yeah. Um, by the way. Yeah. And I uh, saved the day with her. We met over the course of the next year or so. Hanging out with her, I just started painting. And wow. she goes, you got a knack for this. And I should send this into my art rep. And before I knew it, I was getting orders for all my paintings. Wow. Uh, That's cool. I, uh, it, and it snowballed. You know, the specialty, and never no formal training, but I'd always been an artist. My mom was an artist. My dad was an artist. Always been an artist. And before you knew it, I was in Neiman Marcus catalog. Wow. Some of my paintings in Neiman Marcus catalog. Don't ever do that. Yeah. You're a painter. Really? Uh, the only thing it guarantees you is you have to paint the same thing 80 times. <laughs> so, yeah, it's like, hey, we love this. Good this repetition, yeah, we but... love this peony and this amaryllis painting. We need 80 of them. Right. <laughs> so, yeah, it's not set up. And after you turn ghost white and fall out of your chair, right? You're yeah, like, that's oh, it. Oh, no, that was the... I had to buy racks. I had a three-car garage. I had to buy racks in my garage. And every rack was stuffed with paintings that were dry, you know, drying at different stages. Yeah. So I could recreate a set of four paintings that were 20 yeah. by 20 paintings. Yeah. Four of them, 80 times. Wow. Before we told the art, don't sell anymore. Yeah, we're done. I don't, I don't want it. He's like, but it's in the Neiman Marcus catalog. And I go, I know it's cool. There's a submarine in there too, but they're not going to make 80 of them. Right. Yeah. That's <laughs> awesome. So I said, let's make it limited edition. Um, we painted the paintings for the Mirage Hotel, the Bellagio, uh, wow. the, the Turnberry. Uh, we painted paintings for a lot of movie stars and a lot of... Uh, a lot of respected people. My wife did, did all the portraits for the University of California Regents and uh, wow. the chancellors she, oh in, the, in the university club, all the chancellors' yeah. paintings. Yeah. Uh, but my specialty is uh, French Impressionism and Realism. Okay. I, I get detailed. I'll, I'll get focused. But both my wife and I don't like to do anything twice. So yeah. The repetition. Some Somebody likes it. Our art rep in Florida... In Chicago, in Santa Monica, they go, hey, I need 10 of these. <laughs> then they put my wife's painting, uh, paintings on a full pager in Architectural Digest, and they said, hey, we need 100 of these. Well, well. Like, so I broke my leg surfing, told you I liked surfing, yeah. uh, in, in 2001. No, 2000. And uh, I had some time. Yeah. And I thought I'd become a realtor. 
Really? Because I was going to sit on a couch for six months because I broke my leg in six places in a spiral fracture. And oh my God. When I went to San Clemente Hospital, I go, so I guess you got to cast it. And you know, I've broken my leg before, my mm. arm before, and the doctor goes, "Oh, you're funny." Oh. He goes, "I'm going to, I'm going to Hawaii on this one for sure." Oh he goes, "This is going to be a surgery and pins and bars and, yeah, no, no cast." And he he's putting a plastic bag on a Makita drill. I kid you not. And and I'm like, "What?" And he goes, "Well, it keeps the, you know, drill the shaving gel. Yeah, it keeps it well. It keeps the drill from you know being polluted and touching the the wound that I'm going to be drilling into. Mm -hmm. And and he goes, you know, breathe deep. And I just I was out. Oh, but gosh. so I thought I'd become a realtor. I hate second place. So on crutches. Yes, you do actually. Five hundred and fifty uh, unit condo complex in San Clemente called Ocean Hills, and I would walk around on crutches. Uh, Steady ass doing American flags, doing door hangers, door knocking. It's all I had to do. And the guy said, you got to get out there. You got to use your legs. So uh, I joined the company at the bottom of the hill from my house. Mm -hmm. We happened to be a Prudential California Realty. Mm -hmm. doesn't exist anymore. Mm -hmm. um, and joined that, joined that office and just walking around on crutches and knocking on doors and getting back to people and helping them the best I could, you know. Rookie of the year, mm -hmm. you know, five listings my second month, and it just started to snowball from there. I just I realized persistence works here. Mm -hmm. You don't even have to have talent. Mm -hmm. Persistence, you know, time on task over time beats talent every time. Yeah. So, you know, you you and I, we had to surrender our Mensa applications at some point. We probably you know didn't get a Harvard degree, but time on task over time has made us industry professionals mm -hmm. so yeah. i agree with that yeah you know and i really really out of desperation you know we we've got to do we've got to do something different mm -hmm. at that point in my life i had a very small child i was in a rental home i had my wife who was trying to paint her brains out to float the family and we were in a bad place yeah. we had no savings we had nothing i had been through the military and been through been through the college experience and worked a lot of jobs, but I was paycheck to paycheck. Mm -hmm. And I said, I've changed this. Yeah. And I asked that very smart stepfather, Harry Schuler. I said, you know, what should I do? And he goes, well, you know, do Robert Kiyosaki's thing, rich dad, poor dad, get, get certificates and things that can make you money and mm -hmm. different. And he goes, and I heard real estate, I heard realtors make a lot of money. And he goes, more than that, it's, it's a very low investment mm -hmm. of time and money to get a real estate license. Right. He's saying it's a super low bar and I believe in you, son. Yeah. You know, so right. yeah. maybe I believe you after what you did in the military, I'm sure you could get through this fifty seven day class and pass an exam that millions of people have passed. Mm -hmm. uh, so you know, I got my real estate license and I think that's when you first think of yourself as a professional. Mm -hmm. Kids don't, military people don't, you know, work in retail and restaurants saying I'm professional. You, you start to wear the suit, you start to wear the tie, you start to have self-respect, you're selling little pieces of the planet. Mm -hmm. uh, it's not for everybody. No. Uh, some people think, you know, I can do this part-time. Part-time pay does not, you know, part-time work doesn't equal part-time pay. If you work half your time at this, you don't get half the pay, you get none, mm -hmm. or maybe very little. Uh, and you can lock into anything. But this industry, as, as you and I figured out, it's very predictable on the income. Mm -hmm. 
because I can determine how much money I'm going to make. And people go, well, how, you know, by the number of friends you have, I don't know, by the number of people that I meet, mm -hmm. uh, you can determine your income here. And it took me a while, but I finally figured out and went, you know, like, like, you know, uh, what's that guy's name in the jerk? It was Steve, uh, Martin. Steve Martin, when he said, oh, it's a numbers game. <laughs> and and I, I, I am now the numbers guy, but it's a numbers game. Yeah. So I went in there, no experience, uh, sweat equity, mm -hmm. worked my way in, didn't know a thing, didn't have a business plan, lucked into a lot of those just by sheer persistence, not because of my knowledge or my skill level, uh, and slowly started to move up. And I wanted to be a broker. Mm -hmm. I don't know why. Um, Berkshire, Berkshire Hathaway had bought the Prudential California Realty brand. I wasn't happy with the transition, whether it was good or bad. I was not happy with the transition uh, of what was happening with my office managers and our office. They're going to move the office, which was down the hill from my house. So I just went out on my own and uh, partnered up with a mortgage buddy of mine and started Blue Tide Realty. Oh. And Four months later, the FHA and the VA said, you can't do loans and real estate. That's right. So we split. And, uh, Blue I Tide, remember when that happened, actually. Blue Tide Realty uh, survived for about 15 years. I did Blue Tide Realty and made a ton of money. Mm -hmm. But that was real estate in, you know, in 2006 mm -hmm. or 2005 and four. That was realtor, mm -hmm. maybe an assistant, work real hard, mm -hmm. uh, things have transitioned a lot. Mm -hmm. So working my behind off and relying on subcontractors and assistants and transaction coordinators and my escrow officers, my you know, lifeline, working really hard, I sold hundreds of houses a year. Mm -hmm. But uh, now they have big teams. Mm -hmm. They didn't have big teams. Big teams were discouraged, people didn't understand them. Realtors were 1099. We couldn't say, I'm going to go hire people. That ruins everything. Mm -hmm. you know, BW2. Either way, um, you know, getting back to being in, in Southern California, when I got my broker's license, I started to get a lot of REO and short sale properties mm -hmm. because of the timing in 2006. And I started racking them up pretty quick. Yeah. Uh, a little story about. Uh, realtors say real estate market's great and I can do everything. You know, that's our standard answer. Uh, I, I received a call one day from a guy named Alex. And uh, Alex said, do you know anything about septic tanks? I mean, normal people would say this is click. Mm -hmm. um, I'm a realtor. I'm going to be helpful. Mm -hmm. I know everything about septic tanks. Nothing about septic tanks. I... I knew what they were. Mm -hmm. I kind of knew how they worked, but I'd never actually even seen one or mm -hmm. had known a house that had one. Mm -hmm. I, I could have lived in one that had one. I wouldn't have known. Mm -hmm. um, but he says, I have a property in Fallbrook, California, and it needs a septic tank inspection mm -hmm. now. And I went, now? He like, now. Well, I... Alex had identified he was an asset manager, mm -hmm. and uh, and I said okay. 
And can I get your contact information? And it's still telephones, still Blackberries, mm -hmm. no iPhones. Mm -hmm. iPhones didn't come out until 2000, you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> later. Uh, I went out to Fallbrook. I got a busy bee septic service. Yep. I don't even know. They're still around. Okay. They're still around. I just, I just was behind one of their trucks the other day. Yep. <laughs> I had, I had the, the poor guy on a Friday night at eight o'clock at night flushing transmitters down master bathroom toilets mm -hmm. so you find the tank in the mm -hmm. middle of an orange grove. Mm -hmm. The whole time I'm going, what am I doing here? Mm -hmm. What am I doing here? I don't have a contract on this house. Mm -hmm. There is another agent sign in front of this house. Mm -hmm. um, found the lids. This guy was going to charge me a hundred bucks an hour to dig. I started digging. He said, not only that, he's hundred bucks an hour. He goes, and I'm not digging. Mm -hmm. I'm going to have to get somebody. So that's going to have to happen on Monday. I'm like, so I'm digging for septic tanks. I get the tanks. He does the flow test at midnight. He gives me the septic certification. Mm -hmm. I paid him double. Yeah. I paid him $1,600 to do that on a Friday night. Yeah. That's, that's what it tells That's what you have to do. Not even knowing. I mean, when I, when I went home in the middle of the night, I'm faxing mm -hmm. the septic certification mm -hmm. to this Alex guy. Mm -hmm. And on Monday, first thing, you know, I didn't want to bug him on Sunday. On Monday, I call him up and I go, I just wanted to make sure you got my septic tank certification for that property. Knowing that I'm on a listing, I'm on a contract, I don't even know what I'm doing here. Yeah, I just, just I just spent $1,600 of hard-earned money mm -hmm. to get a certification for someone in Dallas, Texas. Mm -hmm. Welcome to the REO business. Please. I know. Well, <laughs> I mean, this is the very first REO asset yeah. manager, and you're always like, they always tell you, just overperform mm -hmm. whatever you got to do. Uh, and he goes, Sean, I'm going to tell you two things. Don't ever call me again. And you need to check your email at least three or four times a day. Click. And I'm like, oh, oh my gosh, I just lost 1600 for this guy. So... I'm telling my wife, I go, he told me never to call him again. And I'm like, uh, and she goes, but you wrote the check for $1,600. Mm -hmm. And I went, yeah. And I sent the certificate to him and he's all done. I went to my email. Mm -hmm. I don't need probably like Yahoo mail at mm -hmm. that point. And there was a email in there. It was a listing agreement for the property I'd just done the septic tank for. Mm -hmm. Full 3% booting the other agent out of the deal because the other agent didn't know there was a septic tank mm -hmm. and didn't get the septic certification and it held up closing and it cost him money and time. So he was gone. Mm -hmm. As a matter of fact, he lost all of his REO accounts yeah. because of that, because he, I knew everything about septic tanks. Yeah. So I got his full 3% and uh, I had 21 other listings in that same email mm -hmm. chain. And I went, oh my gosh, how am I going to do 20 So when your eyeballs pop out of your head, exactly. you're like, what am I, says, I don't have a staff, I, I don't have a team. I don't have anybody. Anybody. Right. And I needed to do 21 property inspections, mm -hmm. damage reports, occupancy inspections. I had 21 in there. And you had like six hours. Uh, four. <laughs> four. Well, no, I, 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 had, I had like four hours to accept. Yeah. But it was towards it was towards the end of the day, so sure. I figured I could do this all night. Yeah. And then I woke up the next morning, and there were seventeen more yep. listings. Yep. And I went, huh? Mm -hmm. I didn't find out till later. What they do is they flood you mm -hmm. to see what your capacity is. Yeah, it's a test. And once they hit it, by mm -hmm. the way, my number was twenty one mm -hmm. because I missed some deadlines on the seventeen, on the 17 that came yeah. later. Yeah. Uh, 
you never change. Mm -hmm. You'll never get more than 21 mm -hmm. and they'll hold you at 21 until you fail and then they'll get somebody else. Right. So they, my well, number is 21. I always said, it's really weird. I always have like 21 listings. Mm -hmm. um, and they were all in San Diego County. Mm -hmm. I lived in Orange County when this whole septic tank thing happened. Mm -hmm. So uh, about a year later, my wife goes, where are you going? I said, well, I got to go check on my listings. And she goes, how many listings do you have in San Diego County? And I went, I think it's 28 or 29 listings. Mm -hmm. She goes, how many do you have in Orange County? I go, three. Mm -hmm. And she goes, buy one of the listings in San Diego County. Mm -hmm. I go, I can't. I'm an REO agent. She goes, buy something yeah. in San Diego County. So I picked an area in the middle of, I was kind of working that Temecula, Fallbrook, Escondido, mm -hmm. all the way down through Carlsbad area. So I picked at Oceanside. I knew nothing about it. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know that I'd ever even stopped there. Okay. I'd been on the train to go see. Oh, it's in the middle. Yes, yeah, it's, it's in the middle of Orange <laughs> County and everything around it. Right. I drew it. Kind of, okay. Right. It was a mistake. You know how REOs work. They they give you a thirty mile radius. Mm -hmm. So if you're smart, you put that sucker right in the middle of Del Mar mm -hmm. because that covers the whole county, Absolutely. or even better, Ranchos, you know, Rancho Bernardo mm -hmm. or something, because you get a thirty mile circle. It's yeah. TMZ, mm -hmm. the thirty mile zone, and they. They, they pay attention to that. Yeah, I rarely got anything outside of 30 miles. You know, being in Oceanside, they go, yeah, we have something in Mission Bay, which is just a one-off. Mm -hmm. I'm like, dang it. I should have told them that my parent address was mm -hmm. like Encinitas or Del Mar. I would have got more of the county. Not that I could handle it. Uh, I sold well over a 1,000 homes for just that bank. Plus, I had done Bank of America, Wells Fargo, J.P. Morgan, uh, Chase, uh, did a lot of IndyMax, mm -hmm. Fannie and Freddie's. I mean, it, and then you come out of the end of that and you know everybody. Mm -hmm. Everybody's called you a thousand times to get one of your properties, including you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and you know every every realtor in every company because they're all begging for those very few, you know, great deal REOs. Mm -hmm. When they said that there's there's a five people that control the whole REO market and everybody's going, oh, you're ridiculous. You know, it's spread out evenly. No. no, it's not uh, really yeah. five people. Yeah, really. Yeah, I mean Brent Connolly, Jesse Zagorski. Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean yeah, I could name the five people yep. that you know, Katie Taylor. Katie, yeah. yeah. So, I was just like, I mean, everybody in this right. county knows who controlled the right. Jeff from Excel. Yep. Yeah. No, Jeff Wagner from yeah, Excel. Yeah. yeah. No, and there, we would constantly meet. You know, yeah. How can we keep the lid on the truth here? Mm -hmm. Because it really is five people who get all of them until one fails, mm -hmm. and they do. All the time, they forget to pay HOA dues for their banks and stuff, and don't realize there's a septic tank. One day, I, <laughs> one day I got like 25 listings that I knew were another bank-owned agent's listings, mm -hmm. and I I called up not not Alex. Mm -hmm. I would never call Alex again. I called up the the analyst and I said, "What's the deal?" And he said, "They didn't pay their HOA, so mm -hmm. you're getting all of their inventory," which is. I'm, I'm sure it's a morning wake-up call for the person who just lost oh, 20 sure. listings and future. So, yeah. um, a big bite. After that, you burn out. Like, mm -hmm. I burned out on painting. After 10 years of painting repetitively for Nordstrom's and Neiman Marcus and, and all these places and all these galleries, I burned out. I mean, 
thank goodness I broke my leg mm -hmm. and couldn't stand up and do paintings. And I apologize to my wife because she picked up the slack there during that time. Mm -hmm. She she supported us, but I was done. Mm -hmm. I mean, we had, we were buying houses based on the size of their garage or their workspace. Mm -hmm. You know, we would, and if it was too cold in the garage or the workspace, we'd be painting on our kitchen tables. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was, there were paintings all over our house. Uh, same thing with real estate. You sell a few thousand houses and you're like, I could never do this again and be okay with it. I mean, I was looking at any opportunity to move on. Mm -hmm. And for me, it's a fresh start. Mm -hmm. I mean, you can get a business degree. It doesn't mean you're a pro in any one business. Right. Uh, and for those of you that say, I don't have a college degree. My stepfather, who has way too many college degrees, mm -hmm. PhDs, MBAs, masters, yep. undergraduate degrees from more universities than I want to count. I go, why would you get a college degree if you don't know what you're going to do? Right. And he goes, employers want to see a four-year exercise in persistence. Yep. They just want to see that you're going to do something. You don't want to see that you finish something. Yeah. Yeah. You yeah. haven't had a job. You don't have any job experience. They want to. This is job experience. Yep. This is at least he can come down off of his beer buzz long enough to attend classes three days a week. Yeah, let's be honest. College is all about being a good employee. So if you graduate with a degree, yeah. you're graduating with a degree on, I've been taught how to be a corporate person, exactly. right? I mean, that's it. And that's what they look for. They absolutely look for it. It's how they it's how you they grew our workforce in the history of this country. Yeah. Military so, too. Yeah. I mean, the only thing you know about a military person is that they'll listen and do what they're told. Right. And and maybe not nice, you know, maybe gruff around the edges. They do not teach manners, but military people are get the job done. That's it. That's it. I, I want creative thinking. No. Duh. Give me this order. I'll go fulfill it. It'll get done. You can count on it. That's it's, what employers look for. It's typically cul-de-sac talent, but yeah. you need cul-de-sac talent. Absolutely. You know, this is the best recruiter I've ever had. This is what he does. Yeah. You know, hey, can he... Can you do operations management? No. No. He no. can do recruiting really mm -hmm. well because we told him exactly what to do. Exactly. Uh, in 2013, I was contacted by a company you know. Really? Yes. And uh, they wanted me to take over one of their offices. Yes, they did. As a of fact. Yeah, in, in Carlsbad, California. Right down the street from mine. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, uh, I took over the Carlsbad Keller Williams office. Mm -hmm. Uh, as the team leader and as one of the top agents. Mm -hmm. uh, it was an interesting experience, to say the least. Yeah, it was. Uh, and I went, this is not for me. I, A, I don't want to be the, the complaints department. And I'm tired of being the problem solver and the babysitter. Mm -hmm. uh, so this isn't for me. Well, at that point, um, the one of the owners of that market center of that market center was Chris Heller mm -hmm. and he was taking on the CEO of yeah. Keller Williams. He was moving to Austin, Texas and was going to well. take over for Gary Keller. Mm -hmm. And he said, I just, I will do anything for you to just stay here. Mm -hmm. you know, if anything, you know, you're a calming force. Everybody knows you. Everybody's tried to buy your houses. You work with everybody, including me. And I'd like you to stay here. And I did that for him. Yeah. And, uh, as soon as as soon as my tenure there was up, he was in place. I'm like, I gotta get, I gotta get back to making real money. Mm -hmm. I can make a lot of money in residential real estate, and uh, I went off with a partner of mine, 
named Bruce Levine, mm-hmm. and we got a little Solana Beach. Not yeah, we got a little Solana Beach office, mm-hmm. and we just started listing and selling properties mm-hmm. based on great service and mostly sphere. Yeah, uh, built quite a few, you know, quite a few agents, doing quite a few dollars. Um, you know, you get up near the hundred million dollar mark. And Bruce is a hands-on person. He wants to be involved in every transaction. He wants to further relationships. Mm-hmm. And I don't care if a check just magically appears on my desk. And uh, Bruce goes, where, where does this check come from? And I go, well, some deal that Francis was working on. He goes, I don't even know where this came from. Mm-hmm. I don't know anything about the buyers or the sellers. I don't know what I'm on the hook for. Mm-hmm. I don't know, you know the relationship. I, and I think that caused him great consternation. It did. Because, yeah. It did. I had conversations with Bruce. Yeah. His, and, the reality of his world is he finds like-minded yeah. people and serves them far superior to anyone else. I'd agree with that. And that is hard to scale. It is. It's very hard. Yeah. And Bruce was fine. Because at some point, doing, your brain's just going to explode. He's fine know? doing 40 deals a yeah. year and his investments. Yeah. And uh, I was more into that. I want to grow mm-hmm. bigger. I wasn't ready to grab my last brass ring. Um, so that same Chris Heller called me up and said, hey, another opportunity for you in a bigger uh, bigger market center for Keller Williams, the biggest. Mm-hmm. That's the flagship of Southern California. There are 513 agents doing $2.1 billion in business. And uh, I went in there first as a coach, and then I took over as team leader. Yeah. And that market center was the number one office in Southern California for Keller Williams in agents, volume, units, profitability for eight straight years. Mm-hmm. Never missed a core. It was always number one. Everybody hated it. Mm-hmm. Everybody hates number one because yeah. they're not it. They're right. You too. Um, no, I didn't hate them. No. I mean, it was, I was, I've always been a big fan of Chris Hellers, and he yeah. knows that. Oh, yeah. That, that I worked with him back in the mortgage days. Before I ever became a Keller Williams owner, I worked with him in the mortgage days. And... I banged on his door and banged on his door like you can't believe. And yeah, you know, I even sent the guy listings to try and to try and build business with him. And um, it turned out circuitously, it turned out that I ended up succeeding at a very very high level in exactly what I wanted to do because I was banging on his door as much as I was. I'll tell you that story sometime. Oh yeah, but it was but it was literally I was I was I wasn't going to rest until I had Chris Heller's mortgage business. And the guy who had Chris Heller's mortgage business figured out a way to get me where I wanted to go so that I was out of the way. Oh. And it worked out perfect. It worked out perfect. I ended up being yeah, one of, I ended up, yeah, I became, I became one of the top mortgage producers in the nation, number four out of an out of office of eight, or company of 880 loan officers in 1996. And it, most of it was because of the doors that were opened up because I was banging on Chris Heller's door. It just literally happened that way. And it's, it's you know, you and I have a lot in common in terms of our competitiveness and our drive and all that kind of thing. And, um, yeah, so it was, it was um, Chris and I have a history. Well, so you know, cool. the one thing about Chris, uh, the Chris Heller that people don't understand, um, super direct, mm-hmm. probably three-word text is going to be a long text from him. Yep. But he always knows the answer yeah. before he asks it. Yeah. And he won't ask a question. He doesn't already know the answer. Well, seriously smart cookie. And and he's, very a, he's a seriously smart cookie. And people are like, oh, that, that Chris Heller. I mean, 
He just he sees opportunities through walls. Yeah. It's amazing. Chris when, just wins. That's yeah. it's that simple. And and because of that, you you see his success. Mm -hmm. I I was in Prudential California Realty mm -hmm. with him. I remember the day he quit. It was yeah. like the world was in. It really was. The owners were uh, lighting lighting yeah. folders like, on fires. Like yeah, the CIA ground was trembling the whole nine yards. Yeah. And it and it was just because of his perceived influence, whether real or not. Um, it was perceived. He carried himself, you know, carried himself well. And I raised my hand when he said, do you want to take this over? When he became the CEO of the largest real estate company in, in San Diego, it was number one brokerage in San Diego. Mm -hmm. I remember there was this company called EXP. Mm -hmm. And somebody, Gary, had mentioned in two, 2014, I looked him up on Broker Metrics, and I go, I outproduced the whole company. Mm -hmm. I don't care about them. I outproduced the whole freaking company. Mm -hmm. And then it started growing. Mm -hmm. And uh, then I, I outproduced him in California. Mm -hmm. Then I outproduced him in San Diego. And people, when I left Keller Williams in 2021, they go, you can't leave. You're number one. Volume, units, agent, you're number one. You can't leave. And I go, I, I can read a graph. Mm -hmm. I know what next year is going to bring. Mm -hmm. I go, even if I do better, I know what next year is going to bring. Because there was this company out there that had super low overhead, mm -hmm was acquiring agent because of what they offered the agents. And uh, I said, I cannot compete with this company, EXP, on a financial model. They simply have lower caps. My cap was $32,500. That included a $3,000 royalty, and I was like 125 bucks a month. And I went, this company's a $16,000 cap. There's no royalty. You get revenue share off the $16,000 caps, and you get stock awards mm -hmm. off mm -hmm. the $16,000 caps, and they have health care. Mm -hmm. I mean, when I came to do my initial quote, they, they said, oh, the average agent saves about $6,000 in health care. It was way more for me. Mm -hmm. I was like, I don't even care. I go, I can't believe people don't join this company just for the health care. Pay the $85 a month to save six to $8,000 a year in health care costs. I'm like, Seems like a no-brainer. I saved more than six thousand a year. I know. I well, I did too, and maybe because we're old. Uh, maybe that's it. Yeah, so we're old. I mean, if you're twenty-four, you probably went a negative for now. I'm just kidding. But uh, I mean, so I was looking at it. I go, I'm sick of telling people this is the best place for their business mm -hmm. when it's not. Yeah. We offer stuff they don't offer. Yeah. You know, uh, I was at an Inman conference last year, and Brad Inman stood up on stage. I think it was in New York, and said, "Raise your hand." if you need an office to do your job. Mm -hmm. A lot of people raise their hand. I mean, when you're looking out across the crowd, it looked like everybody raised their hand. Right. Like, oh, okay. And Glenn Sanford, the, the, the guy who invented virtual real estate's mm -hmm. up on stage. He, can, he has a better app perspective of it. And he goes, okay, raise your hand if you do not need an office to do your real estate business. And what looked like oh, the whole audience, all their hands went up mm -hmm. and Brad's doing this, he goes, Wow, is that that's like forty percent? Mm -hmm. and, and Glenn Sanford is sitting in the chair. He goes, I'll, I'll take forty percent. Yes, eight hundred thousand agents. Yeah. All goes, I'll take forty percent. And he goes, and that's what we figured. Yeah. Uh, then he did another little study. Raise your hand if you're under forty years old and you don't need an office. And not very many hands went up. Mm -hmm. And he goes, raise your hand if you're over 40 years old and you don't need an office. And the 
everybody's hand went up. Mm -hmm. And he goes, what I'm seeing, and he goes, I imagine I'll do articles about this coming up, you know, this is going to be further explored, was I'm seeing that experienced agents absolutely do not need an office to yeah. do real estate. They don't, need a, they don't need a real estate office. You know, like EXP, they're a virtual company. Mm -hmm. They operate 100% virtually. There's other companies that emulate us. Uh, you know, L LPT and stuff, but they, they're not virtual. They actually have physical office space. Uh, EXP operates at a, such a low expense because they have no office. Um, but they're not saying agents don't have offices. Mm -hmm. You can still have, we, we're in San Diego County. We've got huge, huge teams here. Mm -hmm. Kyle Whistle, you know, Dan Beer and Jesse Zagorski, and they have offices. Mm -hmm. You know, Jim Patrell has offices. Yeah. Um, they have big teams, they have big offices, they do training. We're not saying don't go get an office, but that, that kind of expense and overhead should not be on your company. Right. And, and I, I need to tell everybody in your listening world, most new agents walk into you and me and say, what do my business cards look like? Who's going to be my mentor? What do I have to pay? Uh, you know, where's the bathroom in the office? Their first question needs to be, are you a profitable business? Yeah. Because I'm tired of people joining unprofitable businesses and then complaining about, I'm not making any money. I know who's going to show you how to make money? Your parent company can't make money. Yeah. I, who there is going to show you how to make money? Your office manager? He's losing every month. And I think when you're the most profitable thing in the office, you've exceeded your lid. Yeah. You need to find another challenge. You can't be competitive just standing on top of the mountain. I agree with that. Fun to climb the mountain. Not fun to just stand there and fend off, you know, the other people who want to get to the top of the mountain. You know, you want to be the New England Patriots or the Pittsburgh Steelers or the you know, San Francisco 49ers for so long before you're just like, it's going to cost a fortune just to stand on top of the, let's do a rebuild. Yeah. Try it again. Exactly. Yeah. So, EXP was started by Glenn Sanford. Yep. 2009. Uh, yeah, who's still the CEO today. I met him at Meg Agent Camp in 2007, 2006, something like that, in, uh, yeah. in Austin, Texas. He was, he was he the was team a, leader of Bellingham. Was, yeah, he was team leader up in <clears throat> northern Washington. Yeah. yeah. So, um, I remember meeting him. I remember him being incredibly quiet, mm -hmm. like incredibly reserved, incredibly quiet. I didn't talk with him a lot. It was a group of us, you know, and, mm -hmm. and we were we all knew each other. We were all chatting it up and stuff. Um, but I did meet him one time and, um, and I'm looking forward as I told you to having him on the podcast. Cause I think he's got a fascinating story. Take just a second and tell the history of EXP because Glenn actually took the EXP. If I understand correctly, he took the EXP model mm -hmm. and offered it to Keller Williams, right? Oh yeah. No, that was, that <clears throat> was an idea that he concocted up, you know, and Keller Williams has explored that for a very long time, mm -hmm. having a virtual platform, especially for expansion teams. No, that, that, that model was presented to Keller Williams and ah, that, that'll never work. That, that desktop computer is never going to turn into anything. Mm -hmm. You know, nobody wants a portable phone. You know, if you were to ask Henry Ford and said, if you were to ask my clients what they want, they'd say they want a faster horse mm -hmm. because they just don't know the potential of what's coming. Right. So uh, Glenn in 2009 debuted, uh, debuted EXP. It was running Craigslist ads for agents. Mm -hmm. I mean, just to get agents, 
that could work remotely. I mean, the key is you have to get a broker in a state, open up that state, you know, with a broker, you get a Mike Litton mm-hmm. in California and we can open up the state. Did it very, did it very slow mm-hmm. and methodically and expand, you know, built and scaled along the way. They actually contacted me. Yeah. Years ago, they contacted me and asked me if I would be the, the broker for all of California. Okay. And I thought about it. I considered it. Mm-hmm. And I ended up turning it down because I owned the Keller Williams office at the time. And we, oh, were, go, we were doing our thing. A lot of franchise. <clears throat> yeah, we were doing our thing. And one of my agents ended up becoming the broker for California. And he was for a number of years. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. It, that happened with uh, when I was one of the top agents in San Clemente, uh, I was approached by Keller Williams. Hey, we're going to open this brand new market center in San Clemente. We want you to be one of the lead investors, mm-hmm. if not the operating partner for it. And I'm like, uh, Texas company, new startup real estate. I've seen a lot of this already. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I've only been in it for 10 or 12 Who called years. you? Do you remember? Uh, I, I'm sure that it was, it was, uh, was it David? It, it was, I think it was David Tennant yeah, yeah. who was calling top agents, yeah. inviting them to a party at the new perspective building in the parking lot. I remember sitting there with a punch. I mean, because they said you're drinking the Kool-Aid. And mm-hmm. I was sitting there with a red punch and I'm standing next to the top agent in San Clemente, mm-hmm. a gentleman named Jeff Stearman. Mm-hmm. And uh, Jeff now owns it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and us both going, yeah, it's just another startup, mm. you know, Keller who. Yeah. Well, then, you know, Remember those days? Yeah. I mean, and. When we so, opened in 2001 in Escondido, it was all about Keller who. <laughs> they, 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 and they were a new model. I mm. mean, when Dave Linegar at Remax started Remax, everybody's like, oh my gosh, this 100% is going to kill the industry. Mm. It's done. Gary Keller comes in with a capping model, mm. and they're like, oh, this is the end of the industry. It's done. Uh, Glenn Sanford comes in with the virtual model. Oh, this is it. End of the industry. We're done. Um, Never underestimate. Sorry to interrupt. Never underestimate the power of no. Mm -hmm. Okay. Dave Linear was an executive with Great Western Real Estate. Mm -hmm. Tom Caldwell, who owned the the region here, the Keller Range region here, he's the one that actually pre-approved me for a market center. He said no to Dave Linear. Dave Linear left. Great Western and went out and started Remax. Yep. Glenn Sanford was told no way by yep. Gary Keller and went out and started EXP. And Never Glenn's, underestimate the power of no man. Glenn's one hundred percent numbers driven. Oh sure. I mean he 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 looks at it and if the numbers don't work, they don't work. Yeah. You know the the beauty of we're going to get back a little bit to EXP from two thousand nine and his slow methodical build was to stay profitable. Yeah. Never borrow money. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there are emulating companies out there right now. People go, well, what, why are you better than this company? Mm-hmm. Say, say a real brokerage technology. Mm-hmm. And I like a lot of people are real. And I, I, like, the, I like their model because it's our model. You I don't know up, much about their model, but I, there's the a lot of people there. Off the ground. There's a lot of people at real that are, were friends of mine before when yeah. they were at Keller and other places, you know. And, and um, we got so. Epic and Kenzel and LPT, a lot mm-hmm. of copycats. They're trying to buy their way, you know, yeah. my, if I, could you be competitive this year in the NFL? If right. I said, I'm going to give you a team, nothing, you don't have any players, could you be competitive or would you just be pounded? And uh, I asked that question to somebody and they go, no, I couldn't be competitive. Go, no, you're absolutely wrong. Give me $2 billion. 
you'll see players you thought would never play again, free agents who will come out bail out, out of bail out of their contract. I will get I will get talent and I will be competitive. Well, these companies borrowed a ton of money mm -hmm. to buy their way into the middle of the game. You know, they're like, hey, the season already started. I don't want to start with agent number one, two, three, four, five, uh, over a 14, 15 year period. Mm -hmm. I want to do it now. You get Compass, Robert mm -hmm. Rumpkin, I'm going to borrow a ton of money and I'm going to just buy agents. Mm -hmm. Brilliant, it worked. Mm -hmm. But the stock value never materialized mm -hmm. to the point where they wanted it to, so it, it was a fail. Uh, you have Real, who borrowed a lot of money, uh, and they'll say they're investors, but there's some people invested a lot of money in that company and they got to carry that debt. Mm -hmm. They owe people. And Glenn is the owner, primary owner of EXP because yeah. he didn't have to give away everything. I think Real is only Tamir, who that's his baby. Mm -hmm. I think less than 5% ownership, yeah. uh, at least according to what I've seen. But he can't make the calls. Mm -hmm. He could. He could just get a call saying, we're pulling the plug. Mm -hmm. He can't make that call. Glenn can't. Glenn's like, oh, we're not pulling yeah. the plug. We're not going anywhere. Yeah. So. Well, there's too, let's be honest. There's too much going on at EHP. Yeah. For anybody to be pulling the plug. Right. And I mean, so, most of our stock is owned by our agents. Mm -hmm. You know, our agents I have stock. and Glenn. I know. And, and, and full disclosure, yeah. I'm in EHP. I have been for over a year. And I literally went there because of you. Yeah. Uh, my relationship with you, I got a chance to, to meet Dave Kennard, mm -hmm. right, um, briefly, and uh, love Rob Flick. You know, Rob, Rob could, I could not be more excited about being in business with Rob Flick. There are Flick, a lot of fantastic people yeah. here. I mean, it's an entrepreneur's playground. Yeah, it's a great place. It really is. And, and I own stock. Yep. You know, full disclosure, I own stock in... in I own stock in everything. People go, well, you, you own stock in the XP. And I go, I own stock in the real. I own stock in Remax. I own stock in anywhere. Mm -hmm. I go, I own stock in Compass. It's how I track it. Mm -hmm. And I go, and, and all ships float and sink with the tide. Sure. I, this is a real estate sector. You know, and for that point, people, you know, people that are, have joined EXP in the past, you know, probably didn't leave because of the financial model. No, they probably didn't leave because of any of the value propositions that were offered by EXP. They were either failing in the business or it didn't work for them. Some guy even said, "I just I need an office close to my house." I get that. Mm -hmm. I can't I can't combat that. There was no co workspace or anything by his house. Uh, some people, as companies grow, they have problems. Yeah, I've had them with. I had them with Prudential, I had them with Berkshire Hathaway, I had it's them with That's not what it KW. used to be, all that kind of thing. Yeah, so. but I mean, they have growing problems. As you scale, you know, you feel like you get ignored. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, hey, I'm like a Verizon customer. I got a new phone walking in, and now I get bupkis. Mm -hmm. So, you know, people left for different reasons over the time. Now, as things normalize, we're at such big scale, we're no longer a state or even a country, we're 24 countries, we're no longer just NASDAQ, we're on the S&P. We've grown to a point where we, we're normalizing in, our, in the way we handle our business and our brokerage operations. So that's really... And, that's, and honestly, that's yeah. happened in the last year, Sean. I mean, in the last year that I've been with the company, there are a lot of things that have buttoned up and tightened up that needed to be tightened oh, yeah. up, you know? We uh, just had agent 1,000, I think he's around agent 1,000, who joined 
so that was like 2008, mm -hmm. um, who just today filled out his joint application mm -hmm. to come back. And I went, what's the difference? He goes, ah, I had a horrible time as we're trying to build this and go from state to state and one broker watching four states. And yeah, now at 89,000 agents uh, in 24 countries and a commercial division and a luxury division and a referral division, it it's normalizing out. I had the same problems when I came over. Okay. But I also could read a chart and I knew that they were going up and I knew that they were scaling. You know, when I tell agents, ask the company, like, well, what if you join me? What if you join anybody? Ask them if they're profitable. Mm -hmm. And if they're not, say, okay, what is your one year plan to obtain profitability without taking more money from me? Mm -hmm. that, that, I'm not, I do understand companies that are growing, but they say, here's our chart and you can see exactly where we're gonna maintain profitability. I just don't want people to get into the the position where they have to have their four big S's cut, sales, right. service, staff, and support. Because they're like, oh, the company's profitability does not affect me. No, when, the, when those systems and those services and that staff and the support goes away, mm -hmm. it does affect you. Absolutely. You can't get your marketing done. You can't get a broker question answered. You can't, you don't get your paychecks on time. Uh, you know, I have a, a lead generation system or technology, those start to fade away mm -hmm. and they don't see it. We've seen it. Mm -hmm. We've seen it. Oh, we're going to cut back a little bit on this. We're going to cut back. My first real estate company, they got into some bad programs. Mm -hmm. They wanted to be on the cutting edge, so they got into, you know, some agent marketing website agreements mm -hmm. and lead I remember that. agreements. Yeah. And, and like Yahoo Homes, that's mm -hmm. going to be the future. Yeah, I remember that too. <laughs> I just put all my money into MySpace. I'm yeah. a genius, yeah. you know. And but they got into some bad contracts, and then the agents had to pay for it. Yeah, you know, I remember one of the, I, I think it was the president, who sat me in a room. I was the, the manager liaison for that company, and mm -hmm. he said. I want you to tell me the truth. I want you to tell me his exact words. I want you to tell me if my baby's ugly. Yeah. So I made all these agreements and I own a million here and whatever here and whatever here. And I need to take it out on the agents. I think we're gonna impose an extra $167 a month technology fee. Mm -hmm. I remember that. And uh, I was with a friend of mine, Dave, and we we're sitting there listening. We weren't smiling, mm -hmm. but uh, he goes, so what do you guys think? And Dave goes, you have the world's ugliest baby. <laughs> and then we both got up and we went out and we started making our plans to leave. Yeah, we were no, like, I'm yeah. not going to be. I got a bunch of those phone calls. Yeah, like, <laughs> You're not going to believe what yeah. they're doing over here. I mean, those those are the stories. You you could write a book. Yep. I mean, from. I am actually. I, yeah. From I'm starting a book. Tank starting on, a book on you know, in January. Uh, already, already scared a ghostwriter the whole deal. Oh yeah, you can't ghostwrite it. I ghostwriter. I want to yeah. see. I want to see how many four-letter words you can. Come on, on yeah. Oh yeah. Well, he's my former pastor, oh, and he also go. did our premarital counseling and married us. I mean, like four-letter bad words. Right. It's like no, right. have a lot yeah, of I know. Words. I know what you meant. I know what you meant. So, uh, but yeah, we started. We start writing in January. So yeah, super excited about it. Well, EXP, my story anyway. Uh, I came here in May, April. 
April of 2021. Mm -hmm. We had 32,600 agents. Yeah, I remember that distinctly. And, uh, it is two years and five months later, and we have 89,000 89, agents. Uh, and and our, my department, that I'm the vice president of Growth Free XP, my department, they, they're involved in about 10% of that. I mean, mm -hmm. most people just go sign up on the join.exp realty mm -hmm. site. And I mean, I like it, I've done my own research. I mean, if you, if you type in exp cloud, it actually has all of our policies and procedures, all of our contracts, all of the links, all the information. Most people do that kind of research. It's all there. They watch a bunch of Mike Sherard and Kyle Handy videos mm -hmm. and uh, you know, okay, I'll give it a try. Yeah, thank God for Kyle Handy, by the way. Yeah, I know. I, I had a I had an agent in San Diego called me up and said these YouTubers are incredible. Mm -hmm. and one of them's the number three YouTuber in the world, yeah. so he's probably got it wired. Um, you know, I I was making my decision to come here. I knew I was leaving my last company. I, I knew that you know my my uh, we had that well, my ownership group yeah. was selling the market center, and I wasn't going to hang around. Yeah. And, and, and try to prove something to the world. I, that market center had been number one for eight straight years. So they moved. Um, did you know that? Yeah. Yeah. Just down the street. Couple couple doors. I still love the people there. Um, you know the my child. I said, do you think I should take a chance here? And they, they went. And okay, they're not in Mincy either. Mm -hmm. My child's a cosmetologist. Um, and Ren goes, would anybody take you if it didn't work out? I went, uh, I think everyone would take me if it didn't work out. Maybe not the company I'm leaving, but everyone else. Oh, the company you're, you're, yeah, you yeah. left would take yeah. you back in New York. Yeah, they, they would probably take you back. Because yeah, they can recharge too. They can yeah. recharge too, right? Yeah, they, 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 everybody loves a bounce back story. But anyway, yeah. Ren said, you know, I said, is it a chance? We, and I showed Ren, you know, the, the cost benefit analysis. You know, these are the positives, these are the negatives. And, uh, and goes, so would anyone take you if it didn't work out? And I go, yeah, they probably would. Mm -hmm. And uh, and Ren said, if it works out, I go, I love being on the rocket ship, and you know, it's where I want to be. Yeah. And if it doesn't work out, you just go to another company and continue probably making exactly what you're making now, doing exactly what you're doing now. And I went, yeah. And Ren goes, I don't think that's really a chance, mm -hmm. you know. Not much of a risk. Not much of a risk. I mean, literally, you or I could go to any other brokerage in town and they would offer us a financial incentive to join them. Yeah. I mean, we should do like checking accounts, you know. Mm -hmm. I'm just going to up my ch change checking accounts just so I can get a new free book of checks. Exactly. But it, it was it was a chance in that it was unfamiliar to me, but the reality, the, there was no fear there because I walked in going, yeah, I really can't lose on this. Yeah. I, I, you know, the president of growth at that time, Dave, he said, I have 20 candidates that I'm talking to right now and I'm gonna throw them all in the garbage can, so you better join me soon. And then he did something real evil. He sent a gift basket to my current brokerage office. You know, and that comes to that, the receptionist. Mm -hmm. And it's, welcome to EXP basket. Are you really? Oh yeah. Oh yeah, Did he really? and he had all he had T-shirts and hats sent. He had shirts and hats sent to me. My computer equipment for EXP all started showing up there. He's like, "Oh, someone must have made a mistake." Oh, clerical and, error. Because I, I said, "Okay, I'm leaving." I told that to my investor group, the new investor group. I said, "I'm leaving," and and they said, "Well, we need you 
mm -hmm. to stay here and train your replacement. And mm -hmm. said, okay, I'm, I'm willing to do that. That is that is the you know, very right. honorable yeah. thing to do. Yeah. Honestly, in my head, going you know, corporate corporate security, you turn off all the turn off all the websites, all the accesses, not everything, because you're going to give this guy two weeks to download whatever secret information there is. There's no secret information. Exactly. You know, that's, that's my list of all the agents I've called. Yeah. And, you know, there's no nuclear secrets. Yeah, there's, so there's, there's, no, yeah, there's no nuclear <laughs> secrets. There's no vault with a bunch of tapes. Right, right, right. Like, oh, <laughs> he can take all the proprietary secret information. I'm like, there is no proprietary yeah, secret information. Yeah. We're using market leader. Anybody Whoa. can buy <laughs> So, yeah, but, you know, when I was talking to that super smart stepfather, he goes, you would think just corporate executive-wise, it's we appreciate the offer, mm -hmm. but, you know, let's just finish it off right here. And that's what Dave fully expected. They're like, you're leaving. And he goes, you told him where you were going, right? And I went, no, he said I'm going somewhere else. He goes, mm -hmm. oh. he goes if you told him where you were going, you'd get the... But, you, yeah, but you, get the, you get the quick party out. Right. So, and, and I don't understand why. When the stuff showed up, they'd yeah. be going, he's not here anymore. Well, yeah, no, I mean, to, to, be, to be fair, most everybody that I worked with, my assistant team leader, my my market center administrator, uh, they all they all moved over to EXP as yeah. well. Uh, they, they, could, they read the same charts I read. Yeah. Uh, but... We're all in the same business. Mm -hmm. You know, everybody's got a different idea of what they want. Or, you know, I always say there's always going to be a Ross. There's always going to be a Nordstrom's. Mm -hmm. You know, there's always going to be a Marshall's in between or whatever. I said, if you if you need an office and you, and you like a coffee machine that you don't own and you, you need the training in person on a daily basis or to bounce stuff off of almost strangers every day, you know, it, it isn't for you. Mm -hmm. A virtual isn't for you. You know, I, I talked to a guy on a Zoom. I probably talked to four or five teams uh, a day on Zoom. And the guy comes on the Zoom. He's a San Diego agent. And he has all these plaid shirts and jackets on hangers behind him. And I said, you, you look like you're in a store. He goes, no, I'm in my cloth which is my closet Closet's office. office. And he goes, which, which has really good acoustics because the sound gets absorbed by all this clothing and stuff behind me. Oh. And I, was here, I go, does it get hot? And he goes, no, there's a vent in the cloth And I said, Interesting. And I said, weren't you at another big San Diego brokerage? He goes, yeah. And I go, now you work in the cloth He goes, I love it. Because yeah. I come in here early, I shut it, it's complete quiet, nobody bugs me, I get so much work done. And then I talked to another agent. He goes, oh, "I'm going a little batty. I think I need to join a team because, you know, I need to need to get out of the house." Mm -hmm. Yeah, you got, you got two Bijan Frises, four kids, and and a wife, and you know, a jackhammer next door. Sometimes you just can't work there. Yeah. And I I totally understand that. And we're all in the same business. Yeah. We're all trying to make a living in real estate. Um, you know, my my biggest gripe is these other real estate companies could do this. Mm -hmm. You know, there's, let me put it this way. If you and I are working on the floor of GM assembling cars and you heard a guy behind you talking about his, his residual income and how much that benefits his family and he can see a retirement in his future. And then you heard another guy saying, I love the stocks that they give me as a byproduct just working here. They give me stocks to the company. I love the ownership in the company. That's really building up. Mm -hmm. uh, and another person goes, no, the healthcare is by far the best. 
Um, you know, I, I would be bankrupt if it wasn't for the health care. And, you know, oh, that 80 hours a week of training, they're so supportive, I can get in touch with the supervisor in a second. And you find out you're the only guy on the factory floor that had none of that, mm -hmm. you would be mad. Mm -hmm. You would probably sue your union rep and mm -hmm. scream and yell and, and, and start pickets out front, you know, they, they didn't give me any of my benefits. Every other real estate agent out there is, is weighing that against, I love my broker, mm -hmm. or this office is pretty. Right. And or the coffee's really good. The coffee's good. I think seriously, they're, they're not getting what they should be getting out of this. They have no way out. Last sale, last dollar. Mm -hmm. They have no ownership in their company. Uh, they, they don't have health care. Most agents have very poor health care. Uh, my family's had some pretty horrific healthcare uh, incidents. Uh, the most recent one was a bill that I received last month for $481,000. If I had to pay a $481,000 bill, I'd be selling the house. I'd be declaring bankruptcy. So those kind of things. $481,000. Can you imagine not having healthcare? Or getting, you know, getting the RSV or whatever that you're going to get, getting some kind of hospitalized, hospitalized yeah. you know, situation, they charge a ton of money for yeah. that. You know. Yeah. So I, um, in 2000, in 2017, beginning 2018, um, there was one of the deadliest flu strains ever going around, and I, um, I got it with both barrels. Uh huh. I got it with both barrels and I um, ended up in the hospital at Palomar College or Palomar, Palomar Hospital emergency room for seven hours. Huh. And the bill, we didn't have health insurance. We owned that Keller Williams office. Uh, we didn't have health insurance and the bill was $14,000 for seven hours that I was in the room. And we, made a decision that day that we absolutely would not go without healthcare mm -hmm. okay. ever again. When and I broke my leg, they got part. me into real estate, yeah. broke my leg surfing, I had no healthcare. Yeah. It was a $29,000 bill. Yeah. And you start looking at welfare and public assistance and there was no government-backed healthcare plans at that time. Yeah. And the worst part is pre-existing conditions would exclude you. Exactly. And that was, I need to get into a situation where I can get healthcare and I knew becoming a real estate agent would give me access to the California Association of Realtors Healthcare Plan. Mm -hmm. So that was that was actually part of the plan. Yeah, it was an incentive. Uh, when we were going through COVID and everybody was fearful that the sky was gonna fall, mm -hmm. uh, and you look and you looked around, I mean, I had hundreds of agents in my in my office, and I knew a lot of them were flying without healthcare. Mm -hmm. And you can't can't help but think, you know, regardless of what the government's telling you, you mm -hmm. can't help but think it. People start dropping around. They have no health care. Yeah. You know, they, they, me, me included. I had a health care plan that was $2,840 a month mm -hmm. that I'd pay for myself. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah. came when I came to EXP, the first quote was $22,000 less than that. And yeah. Like, okay this is a little more reasonable yeah. it's not a mortgage payment yeah mine was mine was 20 some thousand that i yeah. saved my, i mean it was crazy my monthly health care cost exceeded my mortgage on my yeah. my 20 
400 square foot home in a gated community. Yeah, in fact, the first conversation I had with the HB healthcare people was, really? Yeah. Are you sure? Yeah. And literally, I had scripts, right? I had scripts as a carrier, and I was able to keep scripts as a carrier. Yep. Which, again, I was surprised by, right? I mean, it just, it's awesome. It really is. Yeah. It's hard to it's hard to explain if people don't get into the details on it. So yeah, I mean, I don't want to go down the healthcare road, but no, that's, no, it's just, that's it's, one of those expenses just, for a realtor. It's just a benefit. Yeah, it's a benefit. It's one of the expenses for a realtor that's truly an out of pocket yeah. every month expense. That's true. You know, you're saying I'm going to pay a sixteen thousand dollar cap at this real estate company. Yeah. Well, you do realize you're paying twenty eight thousand dollars a year to a medical insurance company. Right. It's still going to charge you a copay, yeah. and still going to fight you on everything. You know, I need, I got diabetes. I need mm-hmm. insulin. Yeah, they're going to argue with you that you have diabetes, mm-hmm. and, and then they're going to argue with you on the cost of the insulin and whether so, or not they're going to pay for it. Whether or not they're going to pay for it. So you're paying far more than you would pay a real estate company. Like I said, I'm surprised that people don't join EXP at eighty-five dollars a month just to save six to eight thousand dollars on healthcare. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's $399 to go through a real estate school, $265 to get your real estate license. Yeah. So that's the test and the real estate card. I don't even think you could be a card anymore. But Maybe. all of that, uh, and then you can save six to $8,000. Mm-hmm. You know, you're like, oh. Just sounds like good business. Uh, and it's things people don't know about. You don't know what you don't know. It's true. I agree with that. People getting into real estate think, uh, you know, nobody gets in to uh, do lead generation. Nobody gets in to knock on doors, do open houses. They think that money falls from the sky when they're getting in. All my friends will use me. You know, the the reality is a lot of hard, consistent work, but the checks are gigantic. And that's what they fall in love with. They're like, I I want those Mercedes-Benz size checks. Mm -hmm. And... uh, but they forget they're spending those Mercedes-Benz size checks on their health care yeah. or on their self-employment uh, retirement fund. It's the truth. You can just get rev share yeah. and have a retirement fund. Get company stock. Mm-hmm. You know that. You know that that builds up over time. If you if you do an Icon program at EXP, you're getting sixteen thousand six hundred dollars worth of stock every year. Mm-hmm. Year and a half ago, that went up and split. Mm-hmm. You know, and and not only that, I mean, there are people that started when it was eighty cents a share, and now it's twenty bucks a share or something like that. I mean, those those really start to add up. Yeah. That's you've two thousand times your money. Compounding, well, <laughs> baby. I know. <laughs> well, that's pretty it's awesome. Like, it's like what Einstein said: the eighth miracle of the universe is compound interest. Mm-hmm. If we all this penny a day. Double it every day. You've heard that one. So, well, thanks for being here, man. So, know, is there anything else you want to talk about? You know what? I I just enjoyed stopping by your office here and uh, and chatting for a while. I enjoyed People it. might it's not know this. Mike and I used to go out and get breakfast on yeah. Fridays and and get way too much cholesterol and and bacon. But uh, it's really great seeing you. I know you're crushing it right now. And uh, I, I hope that all your listeners get something out of my story. It really is a story that just the persistence and, uh, you know, it was not education. It was just raising my hand and willing to do it. Yeah. I guarantee you they're going to get a lot out of it. There are a ton of people that are going to connect with you and your story. Mm-hmm. Um, I promise you. And I cannot thank you enough for being here, but all right, thanks so much. 
We hope you enjoyed another episode of the Mike Litton Experience. If you did, do us a favor, smash that subscribe button, tell your friends, family, and coworkers about our program, and wherever you get your podcasts, please leave us a rating. It helps us to connect with quality people just like you. And that's a wrap. Another episode of the Mike Litton Experience in the books. Reach out to Mike on Instagram at Litton Realty. Want to meet with Mike? Check out calendly.com slash Rio 760.